Hey, this is Emily Hirsch, CEO of Hirsch Marketing. And if you want to learn the six and seven figure science to success, significantly increase your revenue and learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you should be listening to the Sell Without Selling podcast with my good friend, Stacey O'Byrne. If you're ready to get out of your own way to follow the seven figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacey O'Byrne. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. Today, I'm speaking with a really dear and new friend of mine, Emily Hirsch. Emily Hirsch is a leading digital marketing strategist, young entrepreneur, and founder of Hirsch Marketing, one of the fastest growing digital marketing agencies that is responsible, check this out, for over 110 million, and still counting, in client revenue generated. Emily and her team of experts work with top level influencers and game-changing entrepreneurs to grow their businesses and generate massive revenue using her revolutionary, not for lazy marketers process. I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. I am so excited for you to hear my conversation today with Emily and really quick, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or sales professional, and you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or if you're stuck and needing a pivot in your business and your success, or you just want more, and you understand the importance of having a coach to help identify the blind spots, increase accountability, and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your life, and your success, and especially your bank account, to the next level. If that sounds like something for you, then head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a phone call with us to make sure we're a great fit for each other. Okay, let's do this. Emily, welcome to the show. Yay, I'm so excited to be here. Well, that makes two of us. So what got you into not only this crazy thing called entrepreneurism, and this crazy thing called digital marketing, because I think it changes like every second. Yeah, it? right. Yeah. So quick rundown. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I'm, I'm still pretty young at 27, but I was the one, your typical like lemonade stands, all the businesses growing up. And so I've actually never had a real job. Wow. Um, I started my business when I was 20. I got pregnant with my first child and I was in college because everybody told me that's what you should be doing. But I also had to figure out how can I make money? And I wanted to make money from home so I could be home with him when he was born. And so that's what started off like the digital world and me realizing that there was this whole world of online businesses. And I actually started as a virtual assistant. So I was doing like admin, you know, scheduling people's appointments. And that kind of pushed me into some of the tech related stuff in the back end, and then eventually to ads. And once I got to the ads portion, it was just like, 
this is what I love doing. I love the the psychology behind marketing. I love breaking it down, how it's all about building a connection with your audience. Um, so I started doing ads and was just doing that. And then I had my second baby about three, two years later and was like, okay, I have to build a team. Cause I was fully maxed out. I had 10 clients. I was doing everything like typical kind of solopreneur story. And then I was like, well, if I want to keep growing, I have to build a team. Um, and so from there, which she's about to turn five, I have a team of 24 now. And I, um, I'm not in the day-to-day anymore. And it, you know, it's obviously a lot of in between things that happen, but that's kind of the, the overview of the story. And I've, figured it out my whole way, you know, through it from learning on podcasts or courses and different ways of just like experience and then building on that experience to ultimately build what I have today. Wow. That's phenomenal. So let's go back to the lemonade stand story, you know, growing up and uh, I've told this story to, to my listeners a few times growing up. Um, my dad was an Irish immigrant and he, he was back in the seventies, he was a six figure earner in sales. And for him, he really pushed success and everything on us. And through that process, I'd wanted to do a lemonade stand. I think I was like six years old. So he went to the lumber yard. He built me one of those peanut stands, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the, the kissing booth kind of thing. And, um, I made the signs and everything. And my brother's a few years younger than me. So I would sit there. Oh, and my dad invoiced me for all that. He invoiced me for the materials. (laughs) He invoiced me for the labor. My mom took me to the market. They bought all the stuff and they, they invoiced that to me. And I remember sitting on a street and no cars were coming by. And I'm sitting there like, I'm never going to be able to pay my parents back. (laughs) And, And they, they had, interest accruing on this invoice. It was hysterical. And so I finally rallied my friends and my brother to go door to door and knock on the doors and start selling lemonade. And I would give them, I think I sold it for like 10 cents a cup. And I think I gave them like two cents and they did, they, they drove the sales. And next thing you know, I started uh, putting lemonade stands on every corner and had all my friends working it and I paid them. And that was the journey of, of me becoming an entrepreneur. However, I took a sabbatical and I did, uh, I joined the military and I, um, after I got out of the military, I climbed the corporate ladder really quick. And uh, so I did do the employee thing and I kind of wished I never did. However, I yeah. wholeheartedly believe it gave me the knowledge and resources of big business that the education system didn't. Yeah, I totally agree. There's times where I wish I had some corporate experience so I could take from, I think there are some like positive, you know, ways that they have system and process that I lack and have had to learn, you know, as I go. And I, I lean on oftentimes team members who have that experience and I'm like, what, what would you do? You know, cause I don't know. I, I don't have that perspective. So, so has it always been easy? I mean, some people expect to just build it and they will come and, you know, they, they hear the zero to hero, the outhouse to penthouse stories, and they really don't understand that in between the struggle. And it's really important for me to let people know that you're so close to your goal and right about the time that you're about ready to give up is really about the time that you should really dig in and give it your all because that's how close you are. Yeah. So has it always been easy for you? No, I mean, of course not. It's not easy. Anything that's worth it is not easy. Um, and there's every phase, there's different struggles. Like I feel like in the beginning, 
you know, I did, I am naturally really good at connection and networking and just, you know, going out and I just don't quit. It's like, once I set my mind to something, I will get it. Like there's no way around it and I will get there. And so for me, I didn't have a hard time starting to generate sales and starting to get business because I am somebody who's willing to, I'll work for free to get an experience to then be able to go to the next level. And I think that's a skill that a lot of people lack today is like, they want to jump in and have, have it already done and making all the money that they want. Um, but at each phase, it's like in the beginning, you're a solopreneur, you're doing everything, you're overwhelmed all the time. You, there isn't really a balance and, and there you are hustling in that beginning. And nobody really talks about that because there's such a like anti-hustle, I feel like today, which, you know, eventually you want to get past that. But in the beginning, you are working a ton. And then, you know, you continue on and growing a team has many, many struggles in and of itself with, the leadership to the process, to the responsibility, to what happens when you have a bad month and you lose money, but you still have to pay your team and all of those pieces. And then industries change, markets change, and and you've got to show up every day, no matter what, if you don't feel like it, or you do feel like it, like you've got to show up and be there. So it is definitely not easy. Last year with iOS updates and I'm in marketing was probably one of the harder years in my business for sure. Cause we just had to pivot and shift and change so much. And throughout that, I still had a team of 24 people, you know, that I'm, I'm supporting and the breadwinner of my family. And it's a lot. Sometimes, you know, you have a lot of, of pressure on you and there aren't a lot of people who understand that I find. And so, um, yeah, there's, you know, but each struggle, I always tell myself like each struggle I think is setting me up to be the future person that I need to be to grow my business. So if I, you know, want to get to the next level, like I'm being given this challenge to get through it, to be able to get to that next level. That's phenomenal. You know, I, I think what you're oozing out the most is the mindset it takes to really dig in and do whatever it takes, no matter what, to get whatever you want. Yeah. You know, so many people talk about be, do, have so lightly. You got to be this, to do this, to have this. And reality is it's, it's in our wiring. And if you're not wired to really dig in, you do something about making that wiring happen. You yeah. Know, if, if you're, if you're, technology doesn't work, you replace your technology. So many people don't realize if your mindset isn't working, you need to replace it. Yeah. So this, no matter what, whatever it takes, philosophy and attitude, and I want to get back to, you know, all the technology issues in a little bit, but this, no matter what, whatever it takes philosophy, where did that come from? Yeah. I mean, for sure. My parents, I think, I think I really feel like I was slightly born this way. Like I just, you know, I've been like that since I was a kid. And if you ask my parents about me, they'll be, you know, the one thing they would say over and over is like, you couldn't say no to Emily, which was very difficult. I'm sure to parent, but like you could not say no to her because she would just relentlessly go after it until you changed your mind and you're exhausted and you're just like, fine, you know? So I was born that way. And then definitely both of my parents are entrepreneurs, my dad more so. So I grew up watching him as an entrepreneur, but they always taught me and reinforced like, if you want it, go after it. You can have whatever you want. You can create the type of life that you want if you want to go on that vacation, save the money and go on that vacation or, or whatever it was. And so that was instilled in me. And they also definitely did a good job, not just 
giving me things like they, we had money, we were fortunate. And so they could have just given me, you know, a car, for example, I bought my first car. I was, I had to save my money. I had to go buy it. And I think at the time I was like, well, my friends have cars and I was frustrated. Like, why won't you buy it for me? But I think that actually was such a powerful lesson for me as a kid, because if I wanted something, I had to make it happen. It was not handed to me. That's phenomenal. You know, you're just you're just spewing the epitome of, of the science of success. You know, science has proven that we've been imprinted between the ages of zero to seven. And it's through that imprint that we then go out and start deploying those programs. So the, the fact that your parents created the environment for you that they did just allowed you to easily step into who you are today. See, I believe no matter how good or bad your past is, it doesn't define us, it actually creates us. And if it creates us to the point where there's deployment of behaviors that we don't like about ourselves, we just go in and rewrite it, recreate it so that we deploy something new. So on that can't tell you no, that relentlessness, right? Yeah. Does that show up in everywhere in your life? Yeah. I mean, I'm the one here. I'll tell you a quick story. So I'm on the 75 hard challenge. I don't know if you've heard about it, right? I am on day like 42. This is my second time doing it. Yesterday I had the stomach flu and I was like, I'm on day 42 and I'm going to go outside and I'm going to go for a walk and people think I'm crazy. And I'm like, but I will not fail. Like Mm -hmm. I will not, you know, I, so I, it shows up with, with, my personal life and relationships, it's like, I will, I will get exactly what I want. My house, the remodel we just did, my business. And the thing is, I'm not just like, just saying, oh, I have this vision. I'm going to go do the work and I won't stop until it's exactly how I want it. But I do not quit. Like, and I, I'll die before I quit, you know, with, with the way I show up. And the other thing is I see this in my kids, like, especially my daughter, I'm like, she is me. And it is so hard to parent because she wants something and she will not stop until she gets that thing over and over again. And so it's, it's interesting to like be in that situation now where I've got this four-year-old who I'm like, I'm hearing my parents like in, in parenting you about not being able to quit and, and give up or just accept no. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And when you're raising such an independent thinker like that, you want to be careful to not break their spirit. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, and still parent them. Right. We have, we have two girls like that. Um, our oldest is now a nurse and she was very free spirit, very independent thinker. And she's kind of one of those ones where you couldn't put her in a pen, like a, like a pent up horse, or she would just jump the rail. And then our youngest one had this, and we don't know where she got it from, had this perfectionist program that everything had to be perfect. And she was stubborn and she would never give up. Our youngest one's now 21. She's actually in the company. We're grooming her to take over the business and she's working from the bottom up. You know, we started yeah. her at minimum wage and she's growing That's up. Awesome. And, and through the course of school, she had the influence of her older sister who was very social. And the social behavior she indoctrinated from her oldest sister 
And all she would do was talk in school and we'd get notes every day. <laughs> so I sat her down when she was in second or third grade. It's the year when they start assigning grades to them, A, B, C, or D. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I said, so I'm going to make a deal with you and you can decide whether or not you'll accept it. And when you turn 16, if you get A's on all your report cards between now and 16 years old, I'll buy you a new car. If you get B's, I'll buy you a used car of my choice. If you get anything less than that, you got to figure out how to get wherever you want because mom's taxi company's done. Yeah. And my wife at that, well, still my wife, I was going to say my wife at that time, looked (laughs) at me and she hit me and she's like, what are you doing? You know what this kid's going to do? And I go, well, she'll earn it. Yeah. So Sure enough, she turned 16, 4.0. She was in all the advanced classes and she's in the gate program. And Mary Lou looks at me and goes, great. Now you got to buy a new car. And I go, she earned it. Yeah. So so Santa brought her car at 16 with a little note that if your GPA drops, the car gets returned. Yeah. And, you know, now she's majoring in entrepreneurism. You know, for me, I believe that our school system is not structured to make entrepreneurs or make people successful. I also believe that entrepreneurism is a really important thing to learn. And it was not mm-hmm. exist when I was in school. Right. right. And I think it's setting the discipline necessary to ask more of yourself than what you've asked before. The structure. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love the fact that uh, you are getting exactly what your parents wished upon you. And that was kids that, that are just like you, because that's what my mom wished yeah. on me. And it was a painful process to raise. <laughs> yeah, it isn't easy. And I, I feel like my parents, like later on, I was the oldest of four too. So I think they didn't see the outcomes of it yet, you know, until I got older and then they realized like, oh, she's going to be okay. Like, it's okay (laughs) that she, she, you know, is like this or is so independent or is so, you know, of course they love that I was driven, but I also, I just did my thing. You know, I just did exactly what I wanted and I just didn't do what people said or what they thought. And and I didn't go the traditional path, you know, getting pregnant at 20 and and leaving college is not what my parents wanted for sure for me. And it took until I was able to build my business to success that I think they relaxed and were like, okay, like Emily's not the typical person who needs to follow that path necessarily and can go create her own success in a different new way. That's awesome. So, so I'm curious, um, how do you define success? Yeah, to me, success is living the most optimized version of your life in whatever that definition means to you. Because I think so many people talk about like, you got to have balance. And if you're a mom and a business owner and all these things, like it's, it's different for everybody, what that means. And I can tell you my definition, you know, is to prioritize my health and be present for my kids and have a really successful business but that could be different, right. From somebody else's. And so I am always trying to live that most optimized life in all areas, my relationships, parenting, my business, my health, my friendships. And then the second piece is that I'm always better than I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing that, then I'm successful because I, you know, always have room for improvement in every area. And I'm never like, all right, I made it, you know, you never reach the finish line. So to me, success is constantly growing also. I love that. You know, 
I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they seek out that balance. And, you know, our unconscious mind is very literal. And when we look at balance, we look at 50-50. And for some people, they'd be happy with like 49-51 or 47-53. And your unconscious mind would say, nope, it's out of balance and it wouldn't be happy. Mm -hmm. So you really want to look for that harmony, that harmony in every area of life that's important to you, and then show up in a state of excellence and thrive in every one of those yeah. areas. Be present, honor your personal life, be present, honor your professional life, your spiritual life, your health. I mean, reality is if you're not well, you can't sell. And mm -hmm. you're, you, you only get one of these bodies, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like they can just go in and rebuild it. Well, I guess they almost can go in and yeah. rebuild it. <laughs> <laughs> However, they can't rebuild your heart or your lungs or your brain. And, and, and reality is so many people abuse the machine that runs them through pursuing that success. Yeah. And, you know, remove balance because it's just a unicorn and mm -hmm. you're facing something that doesn't exist. Yeah. And I'll add, you know, it's going to change based on what season you're in, like depending on what's happening in your business or your professional life. And then at home, maybe you just had a baby or something like your balance is going to change around based on what you're going through and that season. And I think sometimes I used to be really hard on myself. Like I'd be like, okay, I spent this many hours with my kids and like this many hours working and try to find this balance. But the reality is sometimes I'm going to be working more. And then sometimes I'm going to have to step in and be with my kids more or they're sick or something yeah. and I can be there for them. And so there isn't like a balance. That's also the same every week or every day. So let's shift gears and talk about this digital marketing world. You know, you got into a world that's changing probably every day. Yeah, really. And between between the hardware that supports it and the software that drives it, you're almost in a world where you have to stay so far up to date with progress and technology that you almost need to anticipate their changes mm -hmm. so that you can be prepared for them. So why... Why do you think so many people struggle with marketing? Yeah, I think so many people struggle with marketing for a few reasons. I think one, they're looking for an exact templated solution that they can apply to their business versus trying to learn how to think in a way that a marketer would think, and not to say that everybody has to become a marketer, but so much about marketing is about connection and is about making decisions based off of your ideal customer you're trying to attract and the offer you sell. Mm -hmm. And so people go out looking for like, give me the magic template, give me the blueprint that I can copy copy paste into my business and then it doesn't work and they are frustrated and like marketing doesn't work but instead and in some you know what I try to constantly teach is like you've got to think like a marketer you've got to take the best practices and then you have to apply them in your business based off of your customer and your offer because that's unique to everybody kind of just how we were talking about balance it's like it's never the same one business to another so I think that's a big reason why people struggle and I think the other reason is marketing is so much about your connection that you build with your audience from the content you create to how you're generating leads to how you sell. Mm -hmm. And I think people don't take the time to go deep enough 
to have that connection, to, to know how to talk to their audience, to know how to create the best content, to over-deliver with their value. And so they stay really surface. And the thing with digital marketing is the competition is not low on any industry. Like you're, there's so much noise, even if it's not a direct competition to you, if someone logs onto social media, you're fighting for their attention against so much other stimulation. And so if you haven't taken the time to, to really like go deep on your messaging and connect with your audience and create the best content or the best ad or whatever it is, you're, you're not going to stand out and people will just scroll right past it. So I think that's the other piece. And the reality is it's hard. And, you know, I've built a successful business and we're still constantly like, what can we put out, you know, to serve our audience and how do we go deep and listening to our audience and interviewing them and, and paying attention to what our customers are saying and that work, you never just make it. And that's kind of the thing with online marketing too, is I sometimes think, especially if, if they come right into online marketing and don't have real business experience beforehand, that they feel like it's like a shortcut. And then once you get to a certain place, you're done. And it's just like your funnel's working for you. And that isn't really the reality. <laughs> <laughs> I think so many people look for the easy way, the shortcut to the path of least resistance. And, and reality is that's actually how we're programmed. We're, we're programmed to take the path of least resistance because we've got an eight-year-old an eight year old parked in our brain. And that yeah. eight-year-old, that, that's when we moved into our modeling years. And kids, kids like to take the easy way out and that's fine. However, you still have to do something. And I think for a lot of people, they run it like a hobby instead of a business. A lot of people mm -hmm. created a job for themselves and they don't know what to do. And it's because we don't know what we don't know that ends up really biting us in the ass and holding us back, right? Yeah. Because then the itty bitty shitty committee deploys. And when that itty bitty shitty committee deploys, then they've got all that mind chatter, the bully in the brain beating them up. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know what to do. Nobody's telling them what to do. And then they get paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And the other, the other mistake I see people do is they, they market, and I say that in air quotes, you know, they, they go out and they compete, they go head to head with that noise. It's usually like with lives or, or posts or memes or whatever, and they, or they network and they get a client. And then when they get a client, they stop everything mm -hmm. that created that client. And then they service the client. When they're done with that client, they come back and the business isn't there. The, the yeah. is dry and then they start over. Right. Right. I think so. So for me, wholeheartedly, I believe I do what I do best and then I hire the best to do the rest, yeah. which, is, which is why we came to you guys. I mean, that's I, I spent a lot of time looking for a marketing company and I, I don't claim to know anything about digital marketing. You know, when I went to school, it was print, it was media, yeah. you know, and this thing called Facebook, I didn't even have a digital presence until 2019. I built a seven figure business, 100% off word of mouth marketing. Yeah. I networked, I built relationships. I added value to those relationships and I hit seven figures and I, I didn't even have a website. I mean, I had an online brochure, but I didn't have a functional yeah. website. And in 2019, we decided that we would start building our digital strategy. And uh, in October, 2019, I made the decision, I'm gonna learn how to podcast. 
and we picked March 2020 to launch the podcast, ironically. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then that little pandemic happened. And so that then I'm out in the digital world. And then I figured, you know, it's probably a good idea to get a social media presence. Yeah. <laughs> so so I can tell you that it's possible to build a successful business offline. And yeah. it's not the direction of the world. The direction right. of the world. You know, I, I can tell you once, once you get the traction, it's, it's easier to reach out, touch people, help people, be of service to people, connect people. Yeah. It, you know, I, I'm a huge proponent, huge proponent in avoiding doing it yourself. You know, the whole right. DIY. Now, look, trust me when I tell you, I know what it's like to not have money, you know, yeah. because I built a previous seven-figure business. I had a business partner embezzle it from me. I woke up with 16 cents in the bank. I, I had to file bankruptcy. I had to start over. I had to build a business with no money. I know what it's like to bootstrap, which is why I built this 100% offline because I couldn't afford a digital marketing company. Mm -hmm. I couldn't afford an agency. And I didn't know anything about social media. So for these people who were starting out, you know, there's do it yourself, there's do it with you, and then there's do it for you. And mm -hmm. reality is every one of them touch the other, because even in the do it for you, there's still components that you still have to do yourself because ultimately the results are your responsibility, mm -hmm. right? So for the do it yourself people, I, I know that you have a DIY program, correct? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's a done with you kind of, yeah, program. So for, for the people who are looking to bootstrap success, mm -hmm. do you have any recommendations for them? Yeah, I think when you're at that phase, like, and I know you're great at this, networking is so key because at that, at that beginning where you don't have a huge ad budget and you don't have, you know, the ability to go hire a full agency, that is one place that, you know, it takes time and effort, but it is very successful. And then I think the second piece and like the bootstrapping really comes down to super valuable content and creating a process where you're consistently putting out valuable content and then you can tie a little bit of paid ad spend to that so that new people constantly see that content and then you'll you'll start to get traction with that content and then kind of the next phase you move to is lead generation so the way i look at marketing is layered so there's your visibility your content your brand awareness there's your lead generation and then there's your actual sales where you're selling those leads into your offer and so you kind of build one off of the other and i think people wait until they can like all the way go to the sales before they even start ads mm -hmm. and the thing is that with the way organic works today of just like posting and hoping people come it doesn't really work unless you already have a following or some way to get traffic to your social media and that's why the easiest thing to do, like anyone can really do starting next week is create some really valuable content, make a video, publish a podcast and tie some ad spend to it, run ads to that piece of content, because, you know, you probably are going to start creating the content anyways, but then you're just hoping people will come and see it. But the reason I love paid ads is they can amplify that, 
view. You can get more people and use targeting to get your ideal customer. And so that's kind of what I teach. And then we add in the lead gen and then we add in the sales and kind of layer that. Um, and so when you're just starting out, I actually think people wait too long to start ads often because the alternative is it will be really slow. It'll, you know, it depends how fast you want to go. It depends on how much you're willing to invest. And marketing in, in the beginning is 100% an investment. Like you have to see it that way. You're not going to make your money back right away. As with most investments, right? That's how it is. And so you need to see marketing and growing your business as an investment. And you need to understand, you know, what is that budget for you? Do you have a budget that you can invest in your business? And if not, how could you get one potentially? But that beginning is so important to do that and see it as an investment to start the traction of building an audience and building leads and then eventually sales. Yeah. You know, uh, you, <laughs> I want to unwind so much of what you just said. First and foremost, if you're deploying hope as a strategy, you're kind of in trouble Yeah, because hope is not a strategy. That's just like showing up and throwing up, spraying and praying and just and just throwing stuff out there and hoping something sticks to the wall. Hope is not a strategy. You should have a business plan. You should have uh, an action plan. You should have a plan for your goals. You should have a marketing plan. I, I built a networking plan. When I networked, I was very, very strategic. And look, trust me when I tell you, I am not one of these overanalyzers. I'm the type of person that will spend five minutes, map something out and go, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And that's my plan. If it's taking you longer than an hour to plan it, chances are you don't understand it enough to implement it. Yeah. So that's when you need to hire someone. And I don't care how little money you think you have. You possess all the resources inside of you to make shift happen instantaneously. If you can't afford it, instead of buying into that limitation, step back and ask yourself, what can I do to create the money so that I can afford it? Because if you can't afford it, you can't not, not afford to take action on it. And so that's number one. Number two, you brought up sales and marketing. And I think so many people think they're synonymous. Mm. However, they don't realize you need one to create the other yes. and you need the other to feed the one to create it. Mm -hmm. So can you help our listeners distinguish the difference between sales and marketing? Yeah. So to me and how I look at it is marketing is responsible for getting the leads and the applications if you have one. And then the sale is responsible for closing those leads or selling them into your offer. But they definitely go together because marketing has to attract the right leads, has to attract qualified leads. And that doesn't matter if you sell high ticket with an offer or not. You still have to attract the right person to buy your offer. And then sales, you know, obviously has to have the objections and all the pieces that they need to cover to close that sale. And that could be on a sales page or it could be on a sales call. Um, but one, like you just said, one doesn't come without the other. And I, I also think with a lot of times I see people like they blame like, oh, my marketing is, is the poor quality leads and it's not my sales or my sales isn't closing. And then it's the poor quality leads. And so they, they don't try to like make them work together and understand 
the big picture. And oftentimes they'll blame like the easiest thing, which is like, oh, it must be poor quality leads when no, it might actually be your messaging. It might be how you're talking to people on the page. You're not direct enough. You're not transparent enough. And therefore you're getting, you know, poor quality leads or, you know, it could be a lot of things, but I think you have to look at the entire experience from the first time a a potential lead sees your business to when they become a sale or or hear about your offer Mm -hmm. and figure out how to make that the best experience possible and attracting the right people. And so I very much look at both as an experience, sales and marketing. Yeah, they absolutely are. I think the client experience is probably one of the most important aspects of customer service, because if they're entering into their solution with a negative experience, then that's already going to grease the skids and you're starting even lower in being able to perform for them. So when you make the client experience enjoyable and pleasant and painless, then you're gonna be able to move them faster into the solution that get, gets rid of their problem. And, and you brought up something about lead attraction and I kinda of wanna share a little bit about uh, NLP and communication that, that most people don't know that they don't know. So, you know, we all go through life learning about the four different personality types, right? I'm a DISC certified coach. So we've got our drivers, our influencers, our steadiness and our conscientious. Uh, You know, the direct sales industries made it red, yellow, green, blue, or a lion, tiger, bear, shark, and, you know, diamond, sapphire, ruby, emerald. There's, There's a thousand different versions of bastardized personality profiles. However, that only touches our conscious mind. Our unconscious mind, which runs 90% of our life, has processing styles. We have visual processors, auditory processors, kinesthetic processors, and auditory digital processors. And if you're doing marketing and you're speaking in your unconscious processing style, and you're not riddling in the other processing styles in there, you're only going to attract your people. See, this is why sales is a numbers game for so many people, because they're only attracting their people. And if we said that there's four different personality styles out there, and they're only showing up in their personality and not attracting the others, well, they're only selling marketing to 25% of the world. Now, that 25% that's in front of you, if we divvy that up into four quadrants and they are communicating in their processing style, they're only attracting 25% of that 25%, which is why people say sales is a numbers game because most, the average salesperson only closes 10% of the leads. Mm -hmm. So if you're marketing in your representational system, if you're marketing in your processing style, then you're attracting people who hear you, see you, understand you, know what you mean, and can really feel what you're saying. However, if you hire a copywriter or hiring a marketing company and their processing style is different than yours, they're going to attract that processing style. When you get on a discovery call with them, you speak your processing style, you're gonna be speaking Greek and they're gonna be speaking French and the two of you won't communicate which drops the closing ratio. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to one, understand communication processing styles. 
to understand personality profiling. That allows you to step into people's map of reality and speak into their listening. And then understand the foundation of the copywriting of marketing. Because if you aren't marketing, if your copy doesn't touch and communicate and make visible so that people can truly hear it and understand it, if it's not touching every processing style, you're gonna lose them and you mm -hmm. won't connect them. And you're constantly going to be chasing that game. Yeah. So, so when it comes to sales, when it comes to marketing, it is simple because it's a science and anything that's a science can be duplicated, taught and replicated. And that's what I love about you guys is you guys understand the science of marketing. Mm -hmm. Just like we understand the science of sales, right? Yeah. So on, on that sales and marketing, you know, I, I, I hear this all the time. I'm so busy. I have to stop marketing. If you're too busy, instead of stopping marketing, increase your marketing and diversify leverage resources, or I don't have any business and I can't afford the market. If you don't have business, then you have to figure yes. out how to market. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So in, in, in the industry you're in, I, I, I can only imagine that the itty bitty shitty committee really impacts your ability to move clients into the action that they need to take. Is that true? Yeah, I could. Yes. I think especially because in today's industry, you have to create so much content and be so on and people are just oftentimes exhausted by that or overwhelmed by that. And the reality is, I mean, you said it earlier, even when you hire a marketing team, there is still a part of done for you that needs to happen, which is the content piece. And, you know, no matter how great the marketing team is, you still have to show up as the business owner and create the content that's asked of you. Or if you're, especially if you're the face of the brand, which we work with a lot of, most of our clients are the face of their brand. So absolutely. And, and it's something that you know, we're always working on. And, and one of the reasons I do love paid ads is it takes that overwhelm away a little bit of the um, constant creation and on and the, the fast pace that's just so exhausting in today's industry, but for sure. Yeah. So I want to hit social media marketing one more time. And then I want to go back to the business of the business. So, you know, you, you, you've laid out a strategy for people to bootstrap. However, I, I want them to really open their eyes because reality is Facebook's a business, mm -hmm. right? Instagram's a business, YouTube's a business, TikTok's a business, they're all businesses. Yep. And they don't keep their bottom line happy by allowing their clients or their prospective clients to do anything free. They'll let you Scooby snack, they'll let you taste test right? They aren't going to stay in business by allowing you to run your business for free in their business. So anytime you think you're deploying these memes and they're seeing the algorithms go hundred percent against you. Yeah. Or you can have 5,000 friends, 10 of them are going to see your meme yeah. and they're your friends. Are they really going to do anything with you or for you? They don't even take half of what you say or do seriously. They're yeah. your friends. They support us through our losses, right? So when it comes to Facebook, you know, this paid ad strategy, if in my humble opinion, and I don't know anything about digital marketing, <laughs> it's probably cheaper for you to throw hundred dollar bills in the fireplace than try to deploy your own ad strategy. 
Yeah. Without any support. Yeah. I'm yeah. just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Especially today with how fast things change. The thing about getting an expert support is it, it's like they already have the the intel from doing it every day about the audiences that work and don't work, the strategies that work and don't work, the way we should be setting up ads, like the changes, like you said, there's something on Facebook in the back end that changes, if not every day, every week, it feels <laughs> like, but really it is that much. And so for example, my team, like we have a daily huddle. And one of the things we ask is like, what are you seeing that's working? And so just having one person say, Hey, I tried this in an account allows three other people to have that Intel and know, okay, I could go try that in an account. And so the amount that you would waste not having that and the money, you know, you waste not having that is for sure. At least having somebody guide you if you can't do the full done for you yet. And you need like a, a step. I, I totally agree because you trying to figure it out, you're spending money while you try to figure it out, which is not effective. Yeah. So this now, now I want to go back to the business aspect. The fact that you have a team of 24 is insane. I mean, it's awesome. You know, so many people stay on the self-employed aspect of the quadrant. Mm -hmm. You know, they've done a great job of creating a business for themselves. However, moving down to the true business ownership to where you create a win-win-win situation, you leverage resources so that they can do what it is they love to do and they can profit and benefit from it. And then also ultimately service your clientele. How was it for you to build such a large team in such a short period of time, because reality is you've been in business, what, seven years? Yeah. And building my team for about four. Yeah. I mean, it was, de it's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done because I had, it was the, the first time, like I had no experience doing it. And so I could figure out everything else. I mean, I didn't have experience, but I get the experience and then build on that in the past. And then when it came time to build a team, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I've never done this before. And I was also young. And so people don't take you as seriously when you're young. So I was up against that too. And when I, when I went to start to build a team, that's actually when I hired my first coach. Cause I knew, okay, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like it's the same with the ads analogy of like, you're going to waste more money, not getting help. That's how I felt with building a team is like, I'm going to make way more mistakes if I don't have help and, and waste money and resources. And so I did, you know, get a coach and, and with that, I have also still made a ton of mistakes and will continue to learn from those mistakes. And, um, you know, my team from the beginning has been remote. So even before COVID or, or that happened and everybody started moving remote, like we've been remote since day one, because for me, one of the reasons I started my business was to be home by my kids. Yep. I do have a nanny and that support, but I'm still there and I want to be home. I don't want to go into an office. So that never was in alignment with my own values. Um, and so we've always been remote, which adds another kind of challenge where you have to create the connection and the collaboration and, but nobody sees each other in person. And so you just have to, you know, create systems around that, but ultimately building a team, you know, if I was like, boil it down to a couple of things, it's all about your process and your systems and your culture. And, and yep. that is, a, and you're always going to be improving it. Like it's never, it's never done as with anything you know, if your business is growing, it's also breaking all the time. <laughs> so I think, I think when you're building out a team, there's, there's two different philosophies and concepts that you want and need to look at. And that's one, 
the the difference between having employees and having independent contractors, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's benefits and disadvantages to both, and I think a a synergistic collaborative combination of both is probably Mm -hmm. the way to be most successful. You know, you're going to pay a little bit more for an independent contractor up front, but on the back end, it's, it's about break even because of payroll taxes and benefits and everything like that. However, you have less control over them Mm -hmm. and you also can probably, uh, I'll, I'll say in air quotes, afford a higher caliber quality of expert. Mm-hmm. Whereas the employee, you have more control over, right? Yeah. Yep. So we have we have a pretty solid diversification of both in our company. Yeah. You know, I'd say fifty percent of of our staff is employees, and fifty percent of our team are are contractors. And it's and you're right. It's all about the culture. It's all about the environment, and it's yeah. definitely all about the communication. Yes, everything is, I feel like, even <laughs> clients and anything, it's always comes down to that communication for sure. Yeah. So Emily, welcome to the signature question of the show. And that is, what does selling without selling mean to you? Yeah. So I saw that question. And the first thing that comes to me is it's about value because, mm-hmm. and and I, and I believe, you know, and you do this, I think it's all about going all in with value, whether that's in your content, whether that's in how you are generating leads, how you're trying to generate more prospects. And then when you're actually selling in the offer that you provide, because in my experience, when I look at the clients that we've worked with and myself, like whenever you make an offer that is so insanely valuable that it's a no brainer, like, of course, you're going to buy it. It becomes easy. Selling becomes easy if you can do all that upfront work and provide that value and put value as the number one priority. I think selling just becomes a byproduct of providing that value, especially in the offer, but really in the entire, you know, customer journey experience. Yeah. You know, for me, selling without selling, it it all starts with you. You have to do the inner work for the outer to ever work. If you can't believe in you, how can your prospective client believe in you? If you can't invest in you, how can your prospective client ever invest in you? So reality is, if you think you're worth it, they'll think you're worth it. And this isn't one of those fake it till you make it because congruency is a hundred percent. You know, it's, you can't be 99% in alignment and congruent. That's like being 99% pregnant, right? Yeah. You either are or you aren't. So get out of your way so that your prospective client can really see you, hear you, understand you and feel what it is that you really want to serve them and not sell them. Mm -hmm. When you show up on a foundation of congruency, authentic, authenticity and transparency, they'll connect with you. They'll believe you. They'll work with you because you know, they know that you're there for them, not for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So welcome to the random round, Emily. I believe that success leaves clues and I like to extract clues from our listeners so that I'm sorry, from our expert guests so that our listeners can say, you know what? I really like that. And I want to apply that in my life. So I have two questions for you. Uh, question number one is what is your morning routine look like? Yeah. So honestly with kids, it's not always consistent, <laughs> right? I've got a two-year-old, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so sometimes wow. they throw it off. 
Um, but my, my best ideal morning routine is that I have time when I first wake up to meditate, plan my day and do a gratitude practice. And then I do a workout and that I am consistent with my husband is amazing and takes the kids every day so I can work out. Um, and I get either a walk or a good workout in, and then I take my kids to school. So that's important to me. It's, it's actually a good hour long total drive where they go to school. So the second half, I love like people think I'm crazy, but I listen to my audiobook, drink my tea. It's like my quiet time before I get into work. And so my non-negotiables, like I will not start my day without setting my intention, planning out my day and, and staying in a proactive versus reactive place. Like I've learned like you do not start and just emails and messages and all of this thrown at me. So that's a non-negotiable for me. If I can get a 10 minute meditation, that's probably the hardest thing with my kids, but I have done it in the playroom with them over there playing just to get it in <laughs> because that makes a really big difference. And then moving my body. And I have found with a morning routine, like if you have habits that you want to instill daily, doing it before you start working and before you start your day is key to creating those habits. Nice. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So my last one, you know, you work hard, you play hard, right? How do you decompress? How do you recharge? Yeah. So I love to read. I'm a huge reader. I have my bookshelves in my background. Um, I will read a novel. That's one of the, like a great way that I decompress in the evenings. Um, And then also for me, it's like going on a trip, an adventure, something to break the, you know, habit of day-to-day life. Like I get a lot out of, out of that. And so I will plan just like I plan for my business and goals and things I'm trying to achieve, I'll also plan trips and experiences and adventures. Like I'm taking my kids and in, in a couple of weeks to San Diego as a surprise. And I found like, you have to put those in the calendar to make it happen. Um, and so that, that recharges me honestly, also like working out does I'm more of like the, I'm the high D like I need to like go get the energy out versus sit and to decompress. So when I move, I feel like that actually recharges me. So workouts are a big part of my day-to-day routine too. I love that. I hope that they're not around when you listen to podcasts because it might not be a surprise now. (laughs) Yeah, right. No, they won't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. So I, I live about 60 minutes ish from San Diego. I'm down in San Diego all the time. They're going to have a blast down there. I'm actually, I'm actually from San Diego. I uh, grew up in Pacific beach and it's a phenomenal place to hang. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. Emily, I really appreciate you being on the show. If our listeners want to find you, reach out to you, connect with you, how can they? Yeah. So my website, hirschmarketing.com has everything you would want there. We've got a monthly marketing report that we put out every month. I've got a podcast, Not For Lazy Marketers, that comes out twice a week. And then you can check out our Done For You agency and then Done With You Market Like a Pro program if you're interested. That's phenomenal. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been a blast. Your success is important to me, and it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you. I would love for you to do a few things right now. I'd love for you to hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. That's hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. Second, I'd love it if you'd head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. 
That's head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. We have an immense amount of interaction on both platforms. We also share different information on both platforms. So we look forward to seeing you there. Last and definitely not least, I love to chat with you, give feedback on the episodes, and find out any topics that you're interested in to help make this podcast more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success you've always dreamed of, desired, and deserved. Head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. Let's get a 15-minute call on the schedule. I look forward to getting to know you. Always remember this, choice is a powerful thing and suffering is always optional. Get out of your way so that you can get on your way so you can finally have your way. Thanks so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you soon. Whether it's mastering your mindset, communication, or success, we have more ways to keep you on your journey to greatness. Be sure to visit us at pivotpointadvantage.com for exclusive online training programs, success-specific courses, and more ways to connect to Stacy directly to help you achieve the financial success you've always desired, dreamed, and deserved. That's all available on pivotpointadvantage.com.